salvation through the Son. Have a seat. Our second reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. <clears throat> Our friends, we want you to know that God's grace has accomplished in the churches what God's grace has accomplished in the churches in Macedonia. They have been severely tested by the troubles they went through, but their joy was so great that they were extremely generous in their giving, even though they are very poor. I can assure you that they gave us as much as they could, and even more than they could. Of their own free will, they begged us and pleaded for the privilege of having a part in helping God's people in Judea. It was more than we could have hoped for. First, they gave themselves to the Lord, and then, by God's will, they gave themselves to us as well. So we urged Titus, who began this work, to continue it and help you complete the special service of love. You are so rich in all you have, in faith, speech, and knowledge, in your eagerness to help, and in your love for us. And so we want, to be want you to be generous also in the service of love. I'm not laying down any rules, but sh by showing how eager others are to help, I am trying to find out how real your own love is. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, rich as he was, he made himself poor for your sake in order to make you rich by means of his poverty. Um, last week, someone left this key cup up the back of the hall. We actually washed it for you. But if I leave it there, you can grab it. Um, they're the two Bible passages that we will come back to, but this is uh, the third in a series of topical sermons where we're thinking about church, and today we're thinking about church and generosity. So being a topical sermon, we'll be moving around in different parts of the Bible, but the whole time you'll have mainly uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7 to 9 in the background. But how about I pray as we think about these things? Let's pray. Father God, we do ask that you would continue to be at work in us, changing us and growing us in our appreciation of all that you've done for us in the, in the person of Jesus. Lord, we pray that as Christians who want to live for you, we just ask that you would help us to be generous with everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm overdue for a dentist appointment, so I've had the reminder come in the mail and I've kind of ignored it. And I think you can understand why that might happen. I think it's partly the thought of that metal prong in the mouth, digging into the back of your teeth in those really sensitive spots. I really don't want that. And the other thought is, what if they find another cavity? And then you know, the needle and the drill. There's so many reasons why, yeah, we put off going to the dentist. But I think for me, there's another one in there. And that is, I need a month straight of consistent, regular flossing before I'm prepared to open my mouth because, well, otherwise they criticise my gums. I think talking about money at church or having a sermon on money is a bit like going to the dentist. You don't want it. I think the difference, though, with 
going to the dentist is when you go to the dentist, you get there and you can tell even behind their mask, they've got this massive grin on their face. They're looking forward to this. But when it comes to a sermon on money, um, the person delivering it also has that tendency to just ignore the reminder notices and keep pushing it back. But I'm hoping that today as we think about church and generosity, that I'm not guilt tripping anybody, but instead that we will encourage each other and be enthused um, to want to be living out our faith by being generous in all that we, with all that we have. Um, today, it's the last in three sermons on church. So if you think back two weeks ago, we talked about being clear on who we are. Essentially, we are a Bible teaching church in the western suburbs of Brisbane that wants to grow followers of Jesus. The second week, we had to think about what we do as a church. And yeah, we want to fo- follow, we want to grow followers of Jesus. And so that means we want to help each other make progress. And we want to help each other make progress in knowing Jesus and his gospel. We want to help each other make progress in living for Jesus and his gospel. And we want to help each other in growing to share the truth about Jesus and his gospel. As we grow in those ways, well, generosity comes in there. Generosity is one of those ways that we grow in living for Jesus as we grow to be more generous. Growing in generosity, it's also fueled by the, the, the understanding of the gospel. So as we grow in knowing Jesus and all that he's done for us, it will shape our generosity. But first, um, as I've done in the last couple of weeks, first a bit of background just um, to kind of explain why we've chosen to do things the way we have here at church. So you've probably already noticed we haven't, even if you're new here this morning, you, you would have noticed we haven't passed a plate around or we haven't come around with a bag to take up a collection. And it's not because of COVID. Back in 2006, when we started as a church, we made that decision that we wouldn't pass the plate. We wouldn't put a bag in front of everybody when they come to church. I I grew up in Baptist churches. That's what we were used to in the churches I grew up in. Um, When we were in South Australia, you'd go to church on a Sunday and the deacons, they'd be be rostered on, there'd be a, a, a hymn in which it was the collection hymn and the deacons would come around with a bag and um, everyone would have the opportunity to put something in the bag. So you'd have uh, people with wads of cash putting them in. You'd have little kids with coins. Um, Parents would be giving the coins to the kids so that they'll learn how to give generously to church, all these sorts of things, which they're just, it was part of the service. It was part of what happened at church. And after the collection was taken up, Um, the deacons would bring it to the front of the church and lay it on the communion table up the front, almost like an offering to God was what it looked like or might feel like. Um, And then uh, the deacon who was responsible that day would give thanks to God for the collection and pray that it would be used in the extension of God's kingdom. And I think that's what most people are used to when they think about church and collections. There's variations around here and there. But in 2006, when we began as a church, a new church, starting from scratch, we decided not to do that. Um, we decided that we would want to encourage those who are a regular part of our congregation, and so the regulars and those who have signed up as members, encourage our regulars to be considered and consistent and plan ahead with their giving, um, at, not just to church but also to other gospel, gospel ministry and in other ways. So to be encouraging each other to be considered and consistent in giving and not to have a collection put out in front, but make it something you've got to work to do. So we used to have a box up the back of church where you could drop a collection in. Um, That box will come back at some stage, I imagine. But most people who are a regular part of our congregation will give directly into the church bank account. So you don't see it. It doesn't happen when we gather together. 
We chose not to pass the plate or a collection bag in front of people, and there's many, many upsides to doing things that way. Um, For a start, giving to church is completely optional, voluntary. There's no one manipulating or tricking or coercing us to give. Um, There's complete anonymity about your giving. You don't get to see, oh, man, they put a big wad of cash in or, man, the bag made a big jingle when they put something in. You don't get to see any of that. So there's anonymity. And with that sort of anonymity, it's like that saying, secrecy safeguards sincerity. There's a truth to that. Um, We also don't fall into the risk of miscommunicating so that as you bring the collection up and put it on the communion table, we're not doing that. So we're not miscommunicating that you come to church to bring offerings to God because we don't. And one of the big ones is if you're visiting church with us, well, it's very hard for you to give anything, isn't it? You're just our guests. It's up to our regulars to look after um, giving to church. And when COVID came in, our giving continued. We were ahead of the cashless society. There's so many upsides to doing things the way we've chosen to do, but then there's the downsides. So by choosing to, to do things the way we do with collecting money for church, we lose that constant reminder each week. Yeah, we put it in the notices, but you lose that constant reminder. Um, we make it a lot harder to model the act of giving, particularly to the young kids. Um, we disconnect our giving to church with our prayer about the giving for church. Um, there's the risk that we don't actually explain to everyone why you would want to be generous. So there are downsides to doing things the way we do things. But whether you take up a collection of money at church in part of the service or whether you do it kind of separate the way we do, either way, as a church, we need to keep encouraging each other and teaching each other to be generous. We need to open the Bible and see what the Bible says about money. And so essentially that's what we're doing today. My goal is not to guilt trip anyone, but hopefully just to refresh things and remind us of what gospel-motivated generosity can look like. And so as we're thinking about this, yeah, we're thinking about generosity. So let your mind tick over. Think about what generosity is. What does it mean to be generous? Real generosity comes at a cost, doesn't it? If you are being generous, then you're giving up something which you would otherwise use. There's a cost to giving it away. So real generosity comes at a cost. Generosity, it has that sacrificial nature about it. And yet it can be such a positive thing. It can be really nice to be able to give to someone. It can be a positive thing, a positive experience. Um, Giving can be a joyful thing. You've heard that saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You've heard that, haven't you? You're thinking, now, who said that? Yeah, well, Jesus said that. But if you go through the Gospels to try and find where he said it, you won't find it. You've got to go into Acts chapter 20 to find it, where um, Luke records it for us. Luke records what Paul said to the Ephesian elders when he was reminding them how much he had worked to provide his own needs to be able to share the gospel free of charge. It's in that context that that comment comes. But generosity, yeah, it comes at personal expense and it's a good thing. It's something we can find joy in. And as you think about generosity from a Christian point of view, well, we know that nothing ultimately belongs to us don't we? we? We live this life, we come, we go, we don't take anything with us. And so in the time that we exist on this earth, it's like we're stewards. We're just renting some space. And so as Christians, we want to be generous 
with what God has entrusted to us to be good stewards. So you're thinking generosity, you're thinking all these things. And the other thing to throw into the mix as you think about Christian generosity is as you consider Jesus's generosity towards us, well, that ought to make it easier for us too to be generous as we appreciate all that God has done for us. So we're letting our minds think about generosity. Um, Last week I pointed out that as a church, we need finances to do what we do. And I said that around November each year, we have a congregational meeting at which we set the budget. So we lay out what we think it will cost to run church with paying wages and hiring halls and everything else. What we could do then is we could take the next step, similar to what they do at Presbytery when um, we met for Presbytery on Tuesday night and PCQ sends the Presbytery an amount of money that we've got to find for the denomination and then the Presbytery divides it up amongst the churches and it's like Presbyterian tax, I guess. We could run church that way. So we have our congregational meeting in November where we set what our target for giving is. We could then just distribute it across our members and then we could invoice you. And so as the invoice comes in, you pay the invoice. It would actually make the account keeping a whole lot simpler for church. Um, Talk to Keith later. The the auditor who's currently looking over our books made some comment along this line that where's your invoices? How do you run a business when you you don't know what's going to come in next week? If we did it this way, so we have our congregational meeting in November and then we invoice you for the fees or the membership cost. We could do that. Um, I think there's more downsides to that than what we already do. I think the big thing is it doesn't teach generosity. It teaches just paying your due. That's all it teaches and models. What about tithing? Because tithing is another way that a lot of Christians think about giving to church. We could enforce tithing. When I say tithing, what I mean is everyone um, signs up to give 10% of your income to church. And there's a beauty about it because that means... Um, everyone's giving in proportion to what they earn. And the consistency of it, it would be fantastic. It would be so simple in some ways to enforce tithing. And just the icing on the cake is tithing, well, it's in the Bible. So it's biblical. It's mentioned in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, that's what the Jews used to do. They used to give a tenth of everything to God. And one tribe, the tribe of the Levites, would live off that tenth. Um, when the tribes were allocated land, the Levites or the priestly tribe, they didn't get their own land. They would live off what the other 11 tribes contributed. And if you think 11 tribes supporting one 10%, it doesn't quite work, is there? There's some, what do you call that, overheads involved, isn't there? Because technically you could have just have, yeah, anyway. That's the way under the old covenant things operated. But tithing was around before the law, before the old covenant, So if you're reading through Genesis, you'll come to chapter 14 where Abraham wins this battle and he gives a tenth of the spoil of that battle to Melchizedek. And later on in Hebrews, they use that as an example of um, the greater being blessed by the lesser. So Abraham giving a tenth to Melchizedek is Abraham's way of um, acknowledging acknowledging Melchizedek. But what I'm saying is the the principle of tithing, yeah, it was there before the law. It gets built into the Old Testament Uh, the old covenant system. So giving 10%, it's there in the Bible. But there's a trick. If we want to enforce tithing, then we're actually doing less than what they did under the old covenant because under the old covenant, they gave more than their tithe. They also had free will offerings. They also had this regular interval at which they gave up um, debts 
So if, if your, your brother Jew owed you when the time came, you just waived that debt. So this is generosity to each other and this generosity to God that go, takes them above a 10% thing. So limiting ourselves to 10%, well, it doesn't truly reflect the old covenant system. Enforcing a tithe doesn't necessarily simplify our life as a church either because it just gets horribly complicated. I mean, how do we replicate the old covenant when we don't have priests for a start? We're Presbyterian. Go to the Anglican church if you want priests. We don't, we don't offer animal sacrifices either. So how are you going to get... We do things totally different. Um, and where should your 10% start and finish? So if you're giving 10%, do you factor in what you give to church as well as what you give to AFES or some mission organisation and what you give to the sponsor child? And what does that factor into your 10% or is that the over and above? It just starts to get really complicated. The trick with going the tithing line, though, is the trick with legalism. Legalism is a nasty, nasty master. Um, by legalism, what I mean is instead of being generous, we limit ourselves to the 10%. And we tick it off and we go, well done, you've done your 10%. And the sinister side of legalism is you look at other people and you think, for all appearances, they are not. And we judge. That's the horrible side of legalism. I'd say the most important thing to factor in if we're considering whether to you know, go this tithing line as a church, the most important thing to factor in is that nowhere in the New Testament were the New Testament Christians ever told that they must tithe. That's probably the most important thing, isn't it? Um, in, the New in the New Testament, I would say generosity is the overriding principle. When it comes to thinking about what you give away, generosity is what you see in the New Testament. I nearly rethought this last night. I had one of those sort of, what have I done? Because of growth group during the week, when we we're looking through Philippians, thinking about partnership or fellowship and you look at the way that um, Paul and the Philippians share together and the way the Philippians give up sacrificially for Paul I nearly thought oh no hang on it's generosity and partnership or generosity and fellowship but then as you look at that relationship between Paul and the Philippians yeah there's a partnership in the gospel there's a fellowship in the gospel but the way that they give and support Paul it's just overridden by generosity and so I think it is true to say when you think about what we give as Christians, it's generosity that is the overriding principle in the New Testament. There's lots said about money in the New Testament, so just to run through a few examples. Um, in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, you just open it up, it's full about it, lots to say about money. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's that warning against the love of money. It's not that money's a bad thing, it's the love of money that's the bad thing. Instead, we're told godliness with contentment is of great gain. Still in 1 Timothy, when you look at chapter 5, um, there's a reminder there to provide for your family. It's in the context of providing for widows, but you can't miss it. There's this obligation we have to care for our own family. Um, 1 Timothy 5 also says that elders who teach are worthy of double honour and goes on to say that a worker deserves his wages. It's basically Paul saying you ought to provide for those who teach you in the Lord. That's all just in 1 Timothy. The New Testament talks about money elsewhere too. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians, there's the warning there in 1 Thessalonians against being idle. The principle is don't work, don't eat. You know, it's not complicated. Galatians 6 tells us um, to share all the good things we have with those who instruct us in the word. 
James 2, one of the growth groups is looking at James at the moment. They may have come through this already. James 2 tells us to show our faith in practical ways like providing for the needs of others. Um, And in Philippians, which we're going through in growth groups, um, you find that financial giving to the Apostle Paul, um, it's a way of them expressing their fellowship in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel. What I'm saying is there's plenty of places in the New Testament that talk about money, but there's no command to tithe. In the, New, in the Old Testament, the general guide was to tithe. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament, the overriding principle is generosity. Generosity, man, it can be a whole lot simpler if it's understood correctly or it can be very complicated if we get it messed up. Gospel generosity, though, it extends beyond what we do financially. It extends to the way that we support uh, ministries outside our church it extends to the way we're generous with our whole lives. And when, and when you think about it, quite often um, giving of ourself comes at a greater cost than giving of our wealth. Generosity includes both those things. Gospel generosity, it shapes the way that we live and the way that we live out our faith in Jesus. As we grow as Christians, we grow in generosity. We encourage each other to grow in generosity. So let's turn to the two passages that... Um, Grant read for us. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and we're not going to go into detail, but we're going to just work over quickly over these verses. So 1 Corinthians 16 comes on the back of 1 Corinthians 15, as you're finding the passage. That's one of those really astute points to make. Comes in the next chapter. Back in chapter 15, he's talking about um, the reality of the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise, we've got no gospel to preach, but Jesus did rise. And then it's like he changes topic in 16 verse 1. He goes, now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. It would be easy as you just look at those couple of verses to think, yeah, he's describing what we do at church as we give money to church. You know, you give according to what you earn. Um, You you do it in a, a disciplined, regular way. But look again at verse 1. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, this is not about collecting for church. This is about collecting for other Christians. And if you read on in verse 3, then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you have approved and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So this is about Paul telling the Corinthians to keep collecting money for the Christians in Jerusalem. This is different to what we talk about when we talk about church giving. Um, But still, there are lessons we can learn about handling money and the way that we give. So just as you look at these verses in verse 2, the apostle encourages regular considered giving. It's a good thing to be thought through in what you're going to give away and to be regular as well so that who you're giving or the cause you're giving to can depend on what you give. There's good models to follow here. The apostle encourages giving that's in keeping with your earning. Again, that's fairly important. Um, You don't want to rob one to pay another. You you give in accordance with what you have and what you earn. Um, And the apostle, as you look at these verses, he's concerned that the collection be handled in a manner that is totally above board in verse 3. He wants letters of introduction and so on um, and wants the people who carry the gift to be approved. As you kind of look at what Paul says about handling money there and think about our context at church, yeah, there's things we can learn. 
So when we get back through COVID days and bring back that collection box, well, that money's got to be counted. And so our pattern has been in the past to bring the money to the front after church and count in, in sight of everybody and have two people who count and cross-check each other's count and sign off to say that's exactly what's there. And the treasurer is not involved in that part of things because his role kicks in when it hits the bank account to verify that it got there. And anyone who's paid by church doesn't get involved in handling the money. And as the minister of church, I make it uh, make a point of not knowing what people are giving to church. I don't want that to colour or influence the way I treat anybody. So there's lessons we can learn from this part of the Bible about handling money correctly and being totally above board. There's lessons we can learn about being regular, consistent, and giving it accordance to what we earn, in accordance with, with what we earn. But in verse one, um, the, the Galatian Christians are contributing as well as the Corinthians. This is like a combined church collection, an effort they're contributing together with. And you'll notice he's on his way to Macedonia in verse five. And the Macedonians they become in this collection, uh, become involved in this collection of money for the Christians in Jerusalem as well. And when you're looking in Philippians, in the background there too, the Philippian Christians are there giving to this cause. So with that in, the, in mind, turn then to the second reading. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is another letter. There's time in between these two. And Paul returns to this collection, this matter of the collection for the Jewish Christians. Jump into 2 Corinthians 8 verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. It sounds like this collection has been going on for some time. The Corinthians have made commitments and promises what they would do. And the apostles saying, okay, let's, let's make sure you honour those commitments. But you look at it, you think this is yeah, very much a voluntary gift though. Jump ahead to chapter 9 verse 1. So looking at the other end, this I don't think was read for us. 9 verse 1, there you'll see it's an act of service or kindness, this collection. The Corinthians have said they'll help and the apostle is using the Corinthians' willingness or has used the Corinthians' willingness to help to inspire the Macedonians to help. And then he uses the Macedonians' willingness to help to inspire the Corinthians to follow through. He's playing one off the other like you do as a good parent, playing your kids If you look at chapter 9, verse 1, there is no need for me to write to you about this service for the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them into action. And you're thinking, wow, that's almost manipulative, isn't it? (laughs) Encouraging one to follow through with a commitment because the others are now on board because, ooh, it goes around. You're getting a feel for it, though. There's, this is not talking about the church budget. This is not talking about giving money to church. This is over and above. This is a generous gift for the Christians in Jerusalem. And it may be that Paul is kind of theologically driven as he does this, wanting the, the predominantly Gentile church to have this massive act or display of unity in supporting the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a big point um, in Paul wanting this to go to, to happen. But the, the I think the overriding concern, though, for Paul is that these Christians he's writing to and caring for in, in Corinth, that they're actually growing as Christians and living it out. And I think that's where 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 comes in. He wants these Christians to be growing, and that means growing in generosity. So 8 verse 7, 
Uh, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love you have kindled, uh, that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's like he's writing to his little children in the faith, saying you're doing well in everything, make sure you do well in giving as well. It's part of growing as a Christian. You can hear what he's saying, can't you? It, it's like um, their appreciation of the gospel and all that they have ought to overflow in generosity. And I think we can learn from Paul's word to the Corinthians. Um, look again at the example of the Macedonian churches. Come back to the start of chapter 8, verse 1. Look at the extent of their generosity, 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches in the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Just, you've got to read that slowly to feel how serious this is. They're being persecuted. They don't have a whole heap, and yet they're being generous. And verse 3, for I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. That's kind of, that is sacrificial giving on the part of these Macedonians. It's the kind of giving where if you see someone give like that, you almost want to step in and say, oh, hang on, do you know what you're doing? If you see your kids be generous like that to some cause or some other person, you kind of want to go, no, I'll get that. But you shouldn't because this is the kind of generosity, gospel generosity, Christian generosity. If your kids are that committed to giving to something, Perhaps you could give to the same cause to the same extent. Maybe that's the way to encourage them to keep growing as a Christian. That's a bit of an aside, but look at verse 4 again. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. These Macedonians, they are exemplary in their willingness to be generous. But notice verse 5. It's not that they have redirected their giving. So there's this cause in Jerusalem that the Jewish Christians need support. It's not that they stop giving here. To, they give more. So if you look at verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And you can talk about how what it means for them to give first of all to the Lord and then to us. But what is pretty obvious is it's not that they're redirecting. They're giving over and above. Um, they continue to give to the Lord, and now they're giving to this cause as well. I reckon, just like uh, Paul expected the Corinthian Christians to be motivated and encouraged by the Macedonians' generosity, I reckon thousands of years later we can be too, as you let it sink in. Have a read of Philippians and see what happens there too. We can learn from the example of the Macedonian churches, and I think we can also learn from the apostle and the way that he challenges the Corinthians to be more generous. So verse 8 again, 8 verse 8, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. I don't think he's being manipulative. I think he's being kind of bold in a way that we as Aussies aren't. Saying, look at their generosity, come on. And verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty um, you might become rich. If you look at those verses again, verse 9, let it sink in. Jesus let go of everything that it meant um, to be God and became a human. Then he went even further and gave up his life 
died the death that we deserve. Why does Paul mention it? Well, because the truth of the gospel of Jesus, that's what ought to motivate our generosity. No manipulation, just the gospel. That should shape our generosity. So gospel generosity is on view. Paul's, it's like he's saying, look at the example of Macedonians. Look at the nature of the gospel and you can be generous too. Um, there's more examples as you look through these verses. I mean, there's the according to our means mentioned. You saw it in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 16. It's here again in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 11. Now finish the work um, so that your eager willingness to give it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And again in verse 12, according to what one has. Generosity has been encouraged. Generosity according to your means. It's just a fact of life that some of us will be will have more that we can freely give. He's saying, let's give according to what we we earn and what we have. The other thing um, you see repeated here in 2 Corinthians is the importance of being above board and transparent. So if you look ahead at 2 Corinthians 8 verse 19, you saw it in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 rather, and here in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 19, what's more, um, he has... He was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself. So there's people chosen to go with this collection to keep it all above board. Verse 20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord but also in the eyes of man. Um, The apostle wants to be seen to be doing the right thing and to be doing the right thing in God's eyes and in the eyes of everyone else. Um, It's important to have more than one person carry this collection. It's important that they're trusted people in verse 19. And as you think about these principles and apply them to us, yet we have to do an audit each year. We're told we have to. But as we do the audit, we'll do it in a way that's transparent and done properly because we want to do what's right and seem to be doing what's right. What I'm saying is as you look across 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, two very long letters. There's little bits that where it talks about money and generosity. It gives us principles that we can learn from. If I list a few off, um, this regular and considered giving, you see that there. Giving that's aligned with our earning or our possessions. Giving that comes at personal sacrifice. Um, there's tips for, to be gleaned about how to handle money transparently. There's the example of the Macedonians and other Christians and their generosity. And I'm sure you've noticed the bold way that Paul um, encourages generosity. He doesn't feel he needs to hold back because he wants these Christians to grow, and if they're to grow, they need to grow in the area of generosity as well. Um, There's lots we can learn about church and money as we look across these two long letters. But I think come back to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians and verses 7 to 9 because I think that's the heart of it as you think about it. Verse 7, there's the encouragement to excel in generosity, and verse 9, the reminder of Jesus' generous sacrifice. So verse 7 of chapter 8, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I'd say gospel generosity is what Paul is trying to encourage in these Christians. Our church setup is very different, I think, to the Corinthian church. I think we're, I mean, we are Presbyterian, so we're very 
organized and structured in everything we do, I think we're very different. But behind what we do when it comes to money, that same gospel generosity needs to be the thing that drives. Um, Generosity that's bigger than us. Generosity that's bigger than our church. Generosity that includes being generous to Christians in our suburb and other people in our suburb. Um, Ministries beyond our own ministry. Um, Generosity that extends not just to our wealth, but to our lives and our time. Um, Because we want to be a church that understands the gospel. And so we want to be a church that excels in generosity. As a Bible teaching church, we want to grow followers of Jesus. To grow followers of Jesus, we want to see each other making progress, growing in knowing Jesus, growing in living for him, growing in making him known. And I think part of growing in living for Jesus is to keep growing in generosity. So I'm going to pray for us and hopefully we've got things to talk about too. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the amazing way that you have been generous to us in the person of Jesus. Um, We thank you too for the amazing way you've been generous to us in so many ways as we mix with other Christians, as we mix with people at church. Lord, we thank you for the many, many blessings that you've given us. But Father, above all, We thank you for Jesus, and we pray that our understanding of his sacrifice would shape us. We pray that our understanding and appreciation of the gospel would help make us generous with everything that we have. Lord, we pray that we would be a church that's known for generosity, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.